Hello, everybody. This is Vince Boudreau, the president of the City College of New York, and I am your host every month of From City to the World, a program where we at City College talk about the work we do on campus and how it interacts with community organizations and community efforts to move the world a little closer towards justice, fairness, stability, and prosperity. But for the foreseeable future, while the COVID-19 outbreak is dominating the headlines in our lives, From City to the World will be turned over to programming around issues associated with the coronavirus. And this is programming that we're doing in the form of short PSAs or longer talk shows. This is programming we're doing in close partnership with the support of the Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce and with WHCR. But we're always also using it as an opportunity to mobilize the intellectual capital and resources of CCNY in the struggle to make sure that we're taking care of our people and our communities. The following broadcast is the very first effort in that collaboration where working with WBLS and under the directorship of Lloyd Williams at the Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce, we recorded a one-hour program bringing together some foundational thinking around what the college is doing in this moment, where uh, groups like Silicon Harlem can think and talk about the digital divide and how that plays in the virus response and what work the chamber is doing. So this is a rebroadcast of a program that we recorded for WBLS about two weeks ago. And it is the first installment of From City to the World's approach to the coronavirus. I hope you'll keep listening to WHCR, WBLS, for coronavirus-related programming. Hope you enjoy this segment and that you're all staying safe, keeping informed, and taking care of one another. Greetings and welcome to this GHCC City College Radio Health Conference facing the challenge of COVID-19. Presented in partnership with the Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce and City College of New York. I'm Imhotep Gary Bird from GBE NYC. The program is part of a continuing effort to keep you abreast of what's going on with this pandemic and how it impacts you and what is being done and can continue to be done to support our communities during this time. I'm joined during this segment by the president of the Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce, Lloyd Williams along with Clayton Banks, co-founder of Silicon Harlem, and Dr. Vincent Boudreau, president of City College of New York. And he joins us uh, this morning, or this evening, to discuss the college's response to this pandemic and support of its students and the Harlem community during this crisis. Lloyd, we're going to begin with you. Uh, the chamber continues to play a leadership role, not only in Harlem, but in New York City in response to the crisis. Harlem is really serving as a model for our communities and the leadership coming together and leading at this time. Talk about some of the things going on in Harlem that the chamber is spearheading. Well, uh, first, uh, to the listening audience, I'm honored to uh, be in partnership on uh, this radio broadcast uh, with one of the uh, best-known radio personalities in our nation and beyond, uh, Gary Bird. Uh, known to many of us as Imhotep, and uh, it's an honor and a privilege. And I'm glad that you are taking up this uh, role with WHCR uh, FM, the official radio station of the City College of New York. And uh, then, of course, there is Dr. Vincent Boudreau, who I will introduce later. But Vincent Boudreau is uh, my uh, great friend and uh, the uh, president of the City College of New York, and uh, he'll share with you that uh, which 
the City College is doing uh, during this historic time. And our last guest is uh, my little brother. Uh, it is uh, Clayton Banks, uh, the renowned uh, co-founder and CEO of Silicon Harlem, the top uh, technology support uh, company uh, uh, in the nation that has focused on uh, technology initiatives uh, in uh, the greater Harlem area and beyond. Uh, so I'm just honored to be with you. Um, just talking briefly about the, what the Chamber has uh, been doing. Uh, the Chamber has uh, assumed the responsibility uh, to be the, convene, the convening organization for most of the, the discussions that are taking place uh, in the, the greater Harlem area and the Bronx area related uh, to uh, the uh, pandemic of COVID-19. Uh, and each week now we, we pull together the key elected officials in multiple discussions we pulled together the board of the Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce uh, to uh, discuss what we need to do collectively, citywide. Uh, we have an extraordinary health committee uh, that has been uh, meeting on a regular basis to share thoughts in terms of uh, what needs to be done from the health community. Uh, and then we also now have what we call a uh, uptown leaders uh, gathering uh, each week, which pulls together presidents of colleges, presidents of hospitals, heads of business organizations, banking institutions, civic organizations, and re religious organizations and others to just share how this uh, pandemic is impacting on all of us and how we can uh, partner to do, to do so and to uh, really uh, make sure that we come together permanently uh, in that which we're doing. Uh, Jeff's uh, the next, uh, the Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce in concert with uh, the City College of New York uh, Silicon Harlem and other leading organizations has now uh, uh, created a daily food feed uh, for hungry families, uh, for homeless, etc. cetera, um, in central Harlem uh, from Tuesday through Saturday uh, at uh, Salem United Methodist Church, 129th Street and Adam Powell Boulevard. Our is from 11 to 3, where we're providing uh, prepared, uh, pre-prepared uh, meals uh, for families. Um, and uh, we started with 500 uh, per day about a week and a half ago. We're already up to 1,200 and we are going to continue to grow. And there are a couple of new initiatives that we're also doing that I will share on the tail end of this. And under the leadership of Clayton Banks, we are now getting tablets and computers for school children who are supposedly being virtually uh, educated, but they don't have the equipment for such education. 
and for uh, patients in hospitals so that they can communicate with their families. So that's some of what we're doing, and we really need uh, the listening audience to join with us under our theme, Support Harlem Now. And we invite you to go to our GoFundMe initiative. It's greaterharlemchamber.com. And then go to the GoFundMe page. Uh, and whatever contribution you can make of whatever amount, it's no amount is too small. Uh, we need to be able to continue to support our homeless, support our uh, patients in the hospitals, support the first responders, and support our children. So that's some of that which we're doing. And uh, much more to share, but I would like to, if you don't mind, uh, take this opportunity, MOTEP, to uh, introduce to you our strong partner in uh, all of our initiatives uh, at this time, and that is uh, Dr. Vincent Boudreau, who is the president of the City College of New York. And uh, uh, Dr. Boudreau, uh, I hope you will be able to take uh, time to share some of the multiple initiatives that you are doing at City College of the New York at this most critical time, Dr. Boudreaux. Uh, thank you, Mr. Williams. Um, yeah, you know, this, this health crisis came upon us so quickly that, that it, it, it made us all think, I think, you know, what is our role going to be in, in, in working to respond to it? And, and I, you know, I want to just start by saying, if you ask what a place like City College is, it's at least four things. And I think we have to respond across each one of those four aspects of our identity. On the one hand, we are a community. You know, we are a place where students and faculty and staff come and meet every day. Um, we're a facility. We have buildings and laboratories and, and lawns and gymnasia and dormitories. Um, we're a place that has intellectual resources. We have researchers and practitioners on this campus. Um, and then we're also an actor that can work in partnership with community organizations. And as you said, Lloyd, our, our biggest community partner through this whole um, crisis has been the Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce. I just want to go through those four different aspects of, of, of who we are and what we've been doing. Um, so first, as a community, the very first thing we had to do was keep our people safe and, and continue. You know, we don't want the lives of the 15,000 students that study at City College to be postponed because they can't study. And so we wanted to make sure that we were continuing to teach and educate. And in fact, um, one, of the, one of the immediate fruits of that mission, as, as, as you know, is a week ago today, the very first class of our medical school graduated. And, and they graduated in accordance to some special provisions that the governor established for this moment in time, where, where normally they would be spending the next couple of weeks doing clinical work in area hospitals for credit. They graduated early with the provision that they would go to area hospitals and work to remediate the coronavirus. And so this, this, this very first inaugural class of 
the City College School of Medicine is now out in neighborhood hospitals uh, working on on the virus. And and so that's for me, that's a real um, example of why it's so important that our college continue to train and educate young people. I'll give you a few more examples there. Excuse me, Dr. Boudreau, how many students from City College? Um, because what you just said is so significant. Uh, they want to make sure the audience knows how many students from City College. Well, it, it's a it's a class of seventy students that graduate. Um, uh, so it, it, it's more or less that that would have would have gotten out uh, uh, this time around. I, I, I think we may be a, a, a few students short, so maybe in the mid sixties. But it's a significant group, and it's new it's new energy and new um, new human resources going into medical facilities that, as you know. Are are badly badly uh, over overwhelmed right now. So so uh, we're really proud of that. And it was a very very moving moment uh, a week ago, right about now, um, watching these young men and women uh, graduate and get ready to go out and and serve at a time when their specific skills. You know, their our medical school is not a run of the mill medical school. It's it's a place that is training um, primary care physicians from neighborhoods like the South Bronx and Harlem and Washington Heights and Inwood to go into those same communities that are so badly under-resourced in the best of times. And, and as I'm sure we'll talk about, communities that are, are disproportionately hit by this virus right now. So, so part of the story of why they're important is the numbers, but part of it is that they're getting very specific, very special preparation um, at City College. Um, but we also have, you know, in that same vein, we have uh, civil engineering students who are getting ready to graduate this year who have volunteered to go out and help establish some of the, uh, the field hospitals that are being set up around, around the country. And we have young students, scientists and engineers who are working with some of their faculty members to, to, to manufacture face shields. So, so, you know, it's important for us to keep the work of the college going because the people that are going to help us respond to this crisis and other crises are coming out of City College. But as we do, what, 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 do you, uh, what is happening with the face shields that are coming out? Well, so the face shields, that's an interesting story. We started by collecting all of the the 3D printers or a large number of 3D printers that we had on campus and link them together to make a, a, a printing farm. Right now, that facility is being converted into injection molding. So injection molding, the raw materials are um, more available, it's less expensive, and they can manufacture many, many more um, uh, face shields. What, what they are doing now in concert with a number of other educational institutions, including a number of CUNY institutions, is they are interfacing with the emergency management system. And so hospitals, I know Harlem Hospital is, is signed up for this, is now accessing those supplies through the consortium. And so they're getting not just product of City College production, but also Columbia and NYU and a bunch of other schools that are involved in this in this consortium. But it's a it's a consortium 
that, that, uh, that, that was the point I, I wanted you to address, and thank you for letting the people know, because that which City College is doing is earmarked specifically uh, to assist Harlem Hospital Center, which needs it desperately. No, that's right. No, that's, that's exactly right. So, so as a community, one of the first things we had to do was, was protect our students and protect our staff. And so in about a week, we went from a place where students came in uh, and sat down in classrooms to a place where uh, people were studying remotely and people were working from home. And that was important because we needed to empty out this space so that it, it changed from being a potential site of transmission to a circuit breaker where, where contagion could be interrupted. As a facility, we are a place that has laboratories and dormitories and, 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 and parking lots. And, and so we have been prepared from the beginning to turn those facilities over for public use. And I think the latest news we have through CUNY, we're waiting for implementation details, but our parking lot, which is on the corner of Convent Avenue and 145th and 135th Street um, is on the list to be converted walk-up, drive-up testing facility. And that walk-up aspect is very, very crucial because of course we live in a neighborhood where a lot of people don't have cars. And to say the only way you get a test is if you can get in a car and drive up to a facility, that's not equitable. And, and so the design of this facility is going to allow people to walk up and get a test or to drive up and get a test. And as we know, the governor's priorities now around testing is, is, is going back to that because when we begin to open the economy up and open society up, it's going to be crucial to identify people who don't have the virus. You know, on the front end, we wanted to identify people who were sick so they could be isolated from other people now we're going to start looking at safely brought back into society. So, so that's something that's important uh, that we're doing as well. Now I want to talk just a little bit about City College as an intellectual resource. Because, you know, early on in this, this uh, virus, we were asked to identify everybody on campus who could work in a laboratory to do testing. And we have people in our biomedical engineering program who are working on, um, you know, devices that are going to be necessary for, for people in the medical community. And we even have a microbiologist who's working on a vaccine in, in, in a consortium with other scientists working on a vaccine for the COVID-19 virus. And, and as you probably know, there are dozens of vaccine programs going on all over the world, but one of them has participation from CCNY. But the other aspect of this is we have a campus where the thrust of our intellectual work is working on the issues and the problems, but also the aspirations of people who come from the communities that our students come from. And, and as, as you know, opening up the economy, restarting Harlem, and Inwood and Washington Heights and the South Bronx, neighborhoods that have been so badly hit by, you know, not just the virus itself, but what will come after it, unemployment, social dislocation. We need a plan that's not a generic plan, 
that's not a plan for America, but focuses on the specific nature of the losses that will be incurred in our communities. And, and so under the leadership of the Chamber of Commerce, we've identified faculty members, health economists, anthropologists, sociologists, prepared to work on a, a, a plan for the regeneration of these communities. And I know, Lloyd, when you talk about this, you like to talk about it as the second Harlem Renaissance, which is, is, is really uh, an important way of thinking about it. We, we need to be prepared to inject energy and imagination and creativity into our economy, but also into the arts and culture and social connections between people. And, and so we're working to pull that team together uh, as well. Um, uh, can I uh, just say to the listening audience, the thought process of the Second Harlem Renaissance came from uh, our uh, board members at the Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce and the board, uh, 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 executive board at the City College of New York. And the rationale behind that is that we are this year celebrating the 100th anniversary of the famous Harlem Renaissance. But our question becomes, when we come out of this life-altering pandemic, what's going to be the second Harlem Renaissance? And uh, with uh, Vincent Boudreau and with Amhotep Gary Bird and uh, with Clayton Banks, uh, and others, we are uh, working on how do we uh, get a head start on the second Harlem Renaissance. We've seen some of the uh, issues uh, that City College has been speaking to us about repeatedly over the years, and uh, Clayton Banks in terms of the uh, issues of the digital divide. So now we have to plan for the future. And Dr. Boudreau, if you would just continue, because the leadership out of City College is in, in, uh, important to uh, wherever we're going to go in the future. Oh, I appreciate that. I, I, I always thought that we were a college that needed to be thinking, first of all, as a member of the Harlem community, about what we have and what we can do in concert with other actors in Harlem to, to, to make sure that, that our people are taken care of, our communities are taken care of. The other of these, I was talking about the sort of intellectual resources we have. The other that we, we have been really uh, excited about or, or happy to be able to contribute is, is we have um, one of the most dynamic psychology departments in the region here. And again, like most of our academic departments, it's a department that really focuses on the particular needs of our proximate community, a community that is you know, oftentimes uh, under-resourced, a community with a large um, immigrant uh, population, uh, a community that often as a community experiences uh, trauma. And so, one of our faculty members had began a process of serving of surveying our students and is now moving outside the campus to examine what the specific stressors psychological stressors that accompany this this pandemic are that have a particular impact on our community and when i say our community i mean both the students that are here but the people in the neighborhoods that our students are coming from and so sasha rudenstein dr 
Sasha Rudenstein is the name of the faculty member who's developed this instrument. And uh, once the chamber heard that she was doing this work, there was outreach to her from the chamber's health committee. And as I understand it, she is now working to extend that survey past the, 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 the boundaries of the campus so that we can begin to anticipate the ways in which, often ways we don't um, expect or anticipate, but the ways in which this health crisis produces psychological stress on, on, on people in our community. And once we know what the contours of that stress will be, um, then we can better respond to it. Let me let me just stop you for a moment there, and and we really need to get her to be on our future uh, a radio uh, conference uh, conferences, because if we can possibly imagine, M. Hotep reminded me of this the other day. Uh, as of now, they said that there is an excess of twelve thousand. Uh, uh, people in New York City who have succumbed to uh, the virus, and they uh, believe it's 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 very much undercounted. Mm -hmm. But there's no way that you can have 12,000 persons in New York City who have passed away, and it not impact on all of us. We their neighbors. Uh, they are family members, their co-workers, their uh, church members, uh, etc. And to understand the uh, emotional stress, the mental stress, as well as the physical stress. So the fact that we're going to address that is something that we need to do. And 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 Clayton Banks has also been saying, you know, that these are times that we need to plan for the future. So let me go right back to you, President Boudreaux, in terms of the sharing other things. Uh, I want to grab things when you say about the students from the medical school and all of the things that you guys are doing, which are incredible. Please continue. Yeah, I think the other, the other thing that's important, and it's part of this, this identification of what is going to be needed what we need to do to rebuild our, our community is a thought about workforce development and adult and continuing education. Because some of the jobs that are going away right now are jobs that, that will not come back in the same form. And so what, you know, the second Harlem Renaissance is going to require, in, in my view, a much tighter relationship and a much closer conversation between organizations like the chamber working with local businesses to identify what the labor needs of the community are going to be and places like city college that that are prepared to say well we're going to need for instance many more home health care aides and we need to build a stronger relationship between home health care aides and public hospitals so that there is a there is a there is a a system of care that both takes care of our people and finds employment for our people, and you you, you start to take that way of thinking across all of the industries that are being affected by this virus. Are, you know, are restaurants going to look the same? Um, what are we doing about cybersecurity, protecting our businesses from? 
uh, you know, opportunists who take advantage of, of chaos in our society? How are we working to build an infrastructure that is more resilient? In all of these respects, uh, what we're going to need to do in thinking about the second Harlem Renaissance is to build you know, a closer relationship between what business needs, what our community needs, and what the college uh, provides. And of course, part of this, I'm sure we'll hear from Clayton in a little bit, is about how technology absolutely needs to infuse uh, all of this. So, so these are these are you know these are a number of ways in which the college, as a source of intellectual resource, I think has a role to play. Um, the final thing that we are is is a community actor. You know, we are a place where if we have resources that we can make available to the community, you know, we are we are not, we don't just happen to be in Harlem. We are an institution. That, that has grown up in this community and, and must have a vibrant partnership relationship with the community. So let me just give you a couple examples of what that could look like. As, as we moved City College to a, a, a work from home format, one of the things we had to build was something called a digital storefront for all of the offices that students need to go to. So if under normal circumstances, a student would walk into the financial aid office and meet with a person, we had to build an online architecture where a student could click a link, get a video of somebody who would you know, meet their needs and then put them into a secure chat room that is confidential where they could interact in real time with somebody that could uh, solve their problems. And, and we wanted those video uh, storefronts to look as, as welcoming as an office would look like if you walked in. So we wanted there to be film of somebody. We wanted to be able to make a joke uh, between a student who needs service and a service provider. The community is filled with offices that do kind of the same thing where people from the community come into a community-based organization and they, they need help, they need to talk to somebody. And it's not clear that those organizations have the technical capacity to build the same kind of virtual storefront that we built. And so one of the offers that we are making as part of this community is if you have that kind of an organization where you're servicing clients and you're having some trouble making that, that interaction as, as human as possible online, we will host that service for you. If you send an email to, I'll give you the email address right now. Um, I'll give it to you a couple times. But it's president at ccny.cuny.edu. If you send that email, we will take your request, build that virtual storefront for you, and host your interaction with your clients on our webpage. Um, so I'm going to give you the email again. And you know, if, if, if what we're offering isn't clear, feel free to send an email in, we'll explain what we're talking about. And if it suits your needs, that's a service we'll provide. The email is it's the word president at ccny.cuny.edu. I'm gonna come clean on something, folks. 
Um, I'm a visual speller rather than a, a speller through my ear. I got halfway through the word president, and I didn't remember whether it was an E or an I. And that's why I stopped. <laughs> Write the word president at ccny.cuny.edu, and we'll get that information. We're also, as, as, as Mr. Williams said earlier in the broadcast, we are very, very serious about the provision of, of food to people. And so we're in partnership with the chamber on some of their efforts to distribute food to the community. Um, but but we're, we're looking every day to try to figure out, do we have technology that we can make available? Do we have other services that we can make available? This radio station is a campus resource but it has got to be a place where people can come reliably for information on, on how the virus is operating, but also what we're doing in the community and, and how you can access it. So I've, uh, I've spoken for a long time on this call, but that kind of brings you through some of the preliminary outlines of what we're doing as, as a campus community. And, and, and you know, it's, it is my fervent wish that working together, we won't just be rebuilding um, Harlem, uh, but we'll also be, uh, it'll be an opportunity for us to reflect on what the relationship between the vibrant community of Harlem and the City College campus should be. Because we should be, not just today, but in all things, we should be in lockstep as long as the goal is the betterment of our, our communities. And, and, and so I am proud that we're, we're, we're here to answer that, that call. So thank you. Uh, President Boudreau, um, um, Mhotep and, and I are proud that over the last few years, we have uh, uh, cap captured the theme uh, that uh, we're dealing with the Harlems of the world and that Harlem is a state of mind, and what we do in Harlem will resonate uh, regionally, nationally, internationally, whether it's in uh, Chicago or Detroit or East St. Louis or Watts, uh, L.A. or Kingston, Jamaica. So that which we're working on, what Clayton Banks is working on, is not for a geographical area in Upper Manhattan. Mm -hmm. It is that it can uh, uh, move across the world and give vision and hope to others. Uh, M. Hotep, uh, I, I know that you have taken on a particular interest in uh, our next guest, so uh, would you be kind enough to uh, introduce him? Sure, no problem at all. And once again, thanks to a Dr. Vincent Boudreau, president of the City College of New York. If you're just tuning in on air or on any of your online platforms, you're listening to a WHCR, Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce, City College Radio Health Conference, Facing the Challenge of COVID-19, presented in partnership with the Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce, City College of New York, and WHCR. With the new normal of COVID-19 and its patient hospital protocols, along with uh, quarantine and, and isolation and social distancing mandates. Uh, Clayton Banks, co-founder of Silicon Harlem and a GHCC board member, is with us to talk about technology and the special importance of technology at this time. Clayton, welcome. Thank you, and I uh, appreciate being on the show as well. Um, as much as <clears throat> this pandemic has basically shown how communication tools, you know, in a lot of ways have never been more critical. 
But there's and technology is having a profound impact on that. But there's nothing like good old radio. So to be able to get this message out through uh, City College and, and the chamber is, I think, vital to our overall communication plan. Let me quickly say, there's a few things about this pandemic that I find interesting. One, the pandemic will not last forever. It will not last forever. No pandemic has. But there are certain things that will last that we now are facing. So thinking about one of the things that Mr. Williams talked about was we not only are dealing in a rapid response now, but we're also thinking and planning for the future. And so some of the things that were clearly that everyone now knows, perhaps around the world, uh, that this pandemic and con COVID has, has shown is that forever there will be a higher level of remote working. That's no longer a debate. It will be uh, with us for, for, forever. Um, this includes education. Online education is being reformed. You heard Dr. Boudreaux talk about a lot of the changes that are being made on the campus. One of them, in fact, is pushing everything to digital. So when you look at just those two things, I could go on with the service industries and transportation and everything, telehealth, et cetera. But when you look at just the amount of people that are going to be shifting from going into a facility to working from home for young people and others, uh, adult learning is going to be doing a lot more remote and online education. These are, these are future changes that we now have to basically adapt to, all of us. And at the, at the bottom line of all of that is, of course, your bandwidth, your broadband, your connectivity. One of the challenges we have on the education side, Dr. Boudreaux, is that a lot of the instructors, professors, really good at what they do, have had basically no training on how do you teach online. That's mm -hmm. a hump we're going to have to get over and make that instantiate that in all of the curriculums. And the second thing that we're finding, even when we were trying to do remote learning in our public school system when the uh, pandemic hit, we're finding that many of the teachers were having slow bandwidth. So to be able to show slides or show a video or uh, a curriculum online is, is compromised. So you're finding people check out from that perspective. So I think that if there's any one thing that the chamber is, is focused on and that Silicon Harlem is focused on is, is how we can make the communication tools more, uh, more impactful. How do we use technology to push it forward? And the other side of that coin is how do we ensure people have digital literacy? There's still a large population in this country of people that haven't had those tools that now need to learn how to turn on a computer, how to open up an application, how to send an email or communicate. Any of those things are still um, what we find as a challenge. When I look at COVID-19, I find it to be a story. And it's the story of social context and equity. The real story behind COVID-19 is social context and equity, meaning if you are living in an urban market in a low-income neighborhood and you're likely to be a person of color, your rate of being infected and dying is higher than any other population in this country. 
That's not me. You can look it up. It's data everywhere. People are talking about it now, but I was tracking it a long time ago. Mr. Williams, no, I would ask this question all the time to our health committee on the data around that uh, data set. So uh, Clayton, real uh, excuse me, Clayton, I, I need to stop you because what you said is so powerful. So I just, you know, could you just repeat the connecting linkages you say, uh, you see again? Because it just went through me in terms of how important uh, that that was. And it's equally, I will repeat it, and it's equally important for everyone on the radio listening right now that this data is what will inform policy. So it's an environmental thing. Social context and equity is at is at the center of this. If you live in an urban area and it's and you happen to live in that urban area in a low-income neighborhood and you happen to be a person of color, the chances of you being infected by COVID-19 uh, and 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 the and the uh, rate of you and possibility of dying is higher than any other population in the country. That data is available. You can look at it from World Health Organizations. You can even look at your state's information. And it was and and you wonder why rural areas didn't haven't caught it as fast as we have, even though it's catching up. But when you look at the rural areas, it's in those areas, again, where the populations are lower income um, and haven't had the uh, communication tools, and they're dying at a faster rate. So these are things we have to now come together and figure out how do we make sure that we get policy put in place to bring equity to these neighborhoods, to these zip codes. That's absolutely critical, and this is where technology serves its best, when we can humanize all of this and say, you know, who wants to see people dying? No one. So w- there's things we can do about it. Let me say uh, the impact. Uh, where, where there's yeah. a, a key aspect to this very moment that we're in, and the technology is, is really, I think, critical right now. With, with the idea of a city and state, a country for that matter, on pause, and the isolation that, that comes with this, um, talk a bit about the, the power of that technology to keep people connected with that literacy you were just describing, that uh, technological literacy, and also about the program that essentially are coming from what you're doing and what the chamber is doing to help provide laptops and tablets to patients in hospitals to stay connected to their families. Oh, I'm, I'm appreciative of that because this couldn't be more important. One of the things we're finding in New York City is a major tick up, if you will. There's major data coming in that domestic violence has grown uh, rapidly since this pandemic. And a lot of it is because, obviously, everyone's at home, and a lot of these homes that we find don't have the infrastructure to have those communication tools I'm talking about and that you're asking about. So if you don't have access, if you don't have broadband, then you're out of the loop of information and you have no way to be entertained. And so the isolation, the domestic violence, all sort of points to the the need that we need to have this technology in every single home. That's why I talk about policy. We have to let our federal governments, our state governments, our city governments know 
that at the very basic, there's a three-legged stool here. One is you need to have a device in the home, to your point in HEP. You need to have digital literacy to know how to deal with those devices. And you need to have a robust, resilient network that comes into your home. And it should be relatively low cost, if not free. I'm advocating for cities to offer it for free. Even if the big boys don't want to do that, cities can provide their own internet. And they should call me because I can help them get that done. But you're right. The, the tools for school and work and healthcare and entertainment and even just your loved ones. Uh, Mr. Williams and I talk all the time about those people that are in hospital. You cannot go and visit them. If they're That's under right. a COVID-19 issue, you can't visit them. So the only way you can have some level of, of human you know, interaction is through some sort of a device. And it doesn't work with just a, a cell phone. You need a robust device, and we're providing those now, not only in hospitals, but we're trying to make sure we're hitting shelters and, and um, homeless population and, of course, students all over the place. So it's really critical that we have these measures in place now, but it's even more critical that we, we flatten this out forever, meaning that every home should have a connection. Like when you buy or rent a place, you're going to have water, and lights sort of available to you. You need to have broadband available to you every single way it's possible. If I uh, could, Clinton, I, I, wanted, Clinton, I wanted to make sure that, that in the context of everything you've said, and, and you've certainly given that the global view that we need to have on this, inside that, that, that element of education and, and digital literacy that you're talking about, the transition that society has been going in is clearly impacting something you spoke about on one of my broadcasts the other day in terms of the issue of telemedicine. Can you just uh, direct attention at that for people to understand? It's not that that's just happening right now with COVID-19. This is essentially the wave of the future. Uh, before Clayton comments on that, Mhotep, I thank you for bringing that up because it is so important. And I've listened to Clayton over the years talk about these connective linkages that we need. And, and uh, I must say that I sometimes didn't understand it, sometimes didn't pay attention to it. Uh, but I'm suggesting that everybody pay attention to it now. So that whole question you raised about telemedicine could not be more appropriate. Thank you for asking it, Mhotep. No problem. And telemedicine, as you said, has been around a little bit, and but we know now that it's not just an option, right? It is now the leading way for anyone to understand what their health is, um, you know, current and, and, and future. So what uh, a particular example is I went and saw my doctor, and I couldn't believe when they told me my blood pressure was, uh, 120 over 80, which was perfect blood pressure, and I thought it was crazy because I'm an entrepreneur. But when I asked for more information and vitals, they said, no, 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 you got to go on to a online portal to see the rest of your health records. And I said to right. myself, wow, what if I didn't have that connection? What if I didn't have broadband? What if I didn't have the ability to go online? And it turns out, and here's the number in OTEP that you should, you should um, probably share with people around the world, 40 40% of the households in Upper Manhattan and Harlem do not have broadband in the home. Did you hear what I just said? 
40% of the households in our neighborhoods do not have broadband, not because it's not available, but because it's too expensive. And uh, but Clayton, a- Clayton, let me interrupt you on that because sometimes you and Mhotep and Dr. Boudreaux say things. And I wonder, are we really hearing what is being said? And right now, I'm hoping our our listening audience and all of us really now start paying attention. You just said, if I heard you clearly, that the richest county in America, a county uh, uh, that is actually called New York County, but is the borough of Manhattan, with all of the technology, the banking institutions, the United Nations, Wall Street, uh, everything, and that in that county, there is a major section where 40% of the population does not have the proper technology connection. I I think we just need to repeat that back because that's awesome. Almost half. It It is awesome. New York City... All of New York City, there's 20 to 25 percent that don't have broadband in their home. That's a crisis right there. But 40 percent in Harlem and 50 percent if you look towards East Harlem. So you're looking at a whole generation being left behind and you wonder why there are systemic issues that create a pipeline to jail. You wonder why there are systemic issues why there's people hanging out and not having any information about some of the restrictions that are being made even around this pandemic. That is a crisis, but the good news is it's a crisis we can solve. We can solve this crisis collectively. And, you know, maybe that's part two of this, this interview, but I definitely want to express, because it's a shocking number. It's a shocking number, shocking. and the mayor knows yeah. it, the people know it, people know this number. And we're leaving brain power behind when we don't give them that access and exposure. And it's our own fault now. I'm I'm taking this on 100% that everyone has to be connected. And, and Clayton, and excuse me, Clayton, another part that you and Mhotep continue to raise is that's where the jobs are. That's where the career opportunities are in that growing industry. And, and once again, uh, we're being left dramatically behind. Well, and with me, the COVID-19 you a- crisis, though, I wouldn't say that with the COVID-19 crisis, let's apply that 40 and 50 percent to what's happening right now in terms of people actually being able to get the information that they need in this very critical time. Well, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're, we all on this call know people that have died. This isn't like some sort of arm length away. This is right in our heart. So. This is, if nothing motivates you, you should understand that the story of COVID-19 is social context and equity. That is the actual story behind this. If we don't get this right now, it's all of our own fault. And I will say this, that when you look at the numbers, as I talk about in data, because I'm not making this up. It's not philosophical. This is real data and real facts. The, the reality is, One, to your point, Mr. Williams, one tech job, this has been researched way before the pandemic, one tech job generates three to five service jobs. Because what happens with that tech company and their their tech employees, they want 
new barber. They they want barbershops. They want restaurants. They want to go right. visit sites. They, all of this stuff. So we see a, a, a multiple when you're bringing in tech into your community. One tech yeah. job creates three to five additional service jobs. That's just a fact. Absolutely. Clayton Banks is co-founder of Silicon Harlem and, as I mentioned, a GHCC board member. Lloyd, I'm keeping my eye on the clock. I know that you and I talked last week uh, about some of the issues and casualties of the pandemic in terms of the impact on uh, businesses, cultural institutions, and programs like the, the Summer Youth Employment Program right here in New York City. And I know that program is something the Chambers worked closely with over the years, and you have strong feelings about it. Can you share just a little bit of your thoughts on that and what can be done or is being done to address that issue? Yes, I will. Uh, I do want to say this to you, uh, Mr. Banks. Uh, at, and when we do our next show, I uh, want you to uh, give an update to the listening audience in terms of the initiatives uh, that you did uh, with Silicon Harlem and the chamber to provide opportunities uh, for young people to uh, become proficient in operating drones. It's going to connect directly into the point uh, that M. Hotep raised and about youth, uh, some of youth unemployment and uh, the other issues. Uh, but let me just uh, simply say this. Um, uh, I, I feel, and I hope everyone in the audience feels, for what's happening to young people, teenagers, uh, children at this time. We are so consumed with what's happening with the passing of our seniors and uh, the first responders, et cetera. But what are our children seeing uh, and what's going into their minds for the future? And so one of the issues is that as schools are now closed and have been uh, closed uh, uh, since March, and they're projected not to reopen again uh, before uh, next uh, school year in September. Now we're being told that our young people who uh, have summer youth employment uh, opportunities, that 75,000 young people will no longer have that offered to them this year. And we need to understand what's happening with those 75,000 young people who have been out of school for months, who now have no employment opportunities for the summer, who have been living in uh, this, uh, uh, watching members of their family and blocks and friends and associates pass away. So we have to uh, uh, fight this battle. We're going to fight it with our elected officials to make sure that, they're, you know, as we're giving, uh, give you an example, Amhotep. There was one company, by the way, and I'm really proud of this company, uh, Shake Shack, some of you heard today. Shake Shack, that's a proud member of our chamber, uh, returned $100 million uh, to uh, the federal government that they had received uh, for uh, business services and benefits from uh, the uh, recent federal funding because they didn't need it. Okay, while small businesses cannot even get into the system and the, and the major companies that are, are getting now hundreds of millions of dollars of benefits that uh, they don't need. So what we are looking at is what's happening with the small businesses that 
uh, about 50% of them will never reopen again. I want to repeat that. About 50% of the small businesses in our communities, communities of color, will never reopen again because they have uh, lost so much during this timeline. And so what we need to do, and then, of course, those small businesses are major employment source for our young people. Many of us remember that we had some of our first jobs as uh, delivery persons or working in small businesses, et cetera. So we want you to uh, uh, join with us. Uh, and we, uh, this uh, radio uh, conference that you're hearing today, you're going to hear more from Dr. Boudreaux and from Clayton Banks. And we are so honored that MHOTEP, Gary Bird has allowed us to uh, invite him to be our host for this program. And what you can do to help us all is uh, please go to uh, greaterharlemchamber.com, greaterharlemchamber.com, and look at the GoFundMe page because we need everyone to step up. We cannot expect uh, that um, our president, who has made it very clear that he's disconnected, and somehow when he heard that this, uh, the major uh, uh, victims of this pandemic are people of color, uh, he's uh, dis disconnecting himself even more so. But at the end of the day, we have to take care of our own interests. There are people of goodwill who are not of color listening to this, uh, please help us. Go to um, uh, Support Harlem, and that's greaterharlemchamber.com. Go to the GoFundMe page, and whatever contribution, donation you can make of whatever size, we appreciate it. And if you would please then pass the word on to the people who you know um, to put it in their system so we can uh, demonstrate that as goes Harlem, uh, so goes uh, Black, Hispanic, Caribbean, America. And let's do it in uh, Harlem with City College of New York so they can do it in other communities that do not have all of the benefits that we have, uh, even in the middle of the pandemic. So, And you can also call us at 212-862-7200. And if you want to uh, join uh, and become a member of the Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce, we need your membership now more than ever. And so you can go to greaterharlemchamberofcommerce.com and click on membership, greaterharlemchamberofcommerce.com and click on membership. Much more to come, MHOTEP. Uh, once again, go to the GHCC website, greaterharlemchamber.com, and click membership. And you can also send an email and ask any questions at info at greaterharlemchamber.com. And once again, as Lloyd mentioned, you can call at 212-862-7200. You've been listening to another edition of the Greater Harlem City College Health Conference Facing the Challenge of COVID-19, presented in partnership with the Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce and City College of New York Radio, WHCR. I'm Amitav Gary Bird, giving thanks to our guest, Dr. Vincent Boudreaux, president of City College of New York, and Clayton Banks, co-founder of Silicon Harlem and a GHCC board member, and of course, to Brother Lloyd Williams, president of the Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce, and to the engineering staff of WKCR, 
and the management for the broadcast hospitality. And most of all, thanks to you for listening. As we always say, remember that life is the ultimate trip once you learn to experience it, because in the end, experience is the best teacher. Maintain social distance. Stay safe. Stay well. Stay home. And keep it right here 